The story you're about to hear is true. The names have not been changed to protect the knucklehead involved in it. Taking risks is an essential to success in life, but sometimes in our zest to just go for it, we often take what in my father would call an avoidable risk. That is, any risk where the potential for disastrous results far outweigh the perceived benefits. As a rednecks would say, it's a hold-my-beer kind of moment as they go on and do something stupid. In this podcast, I do just that and literally get in hot water. What saved me? Well, let's see. We had just gotten a contract to replace the existing card access system by card key in the San Diego Federal Building, which is a five-story massive office building connected to the federal courthouse next door by a uh, enclosed breezeway overhead. It was a large job. We had gotten a bond issue for it, uh, our bond performance and payment bonds through an insurance company. It was the biggest thing we had done. And I had thought that it would be a simple project just to replace the existing wires by pulling new wires in the same conduits throughout the building and then hooking up the new sensors and card readers. But once we started, to our surprise, many of these conduits just seemed to go off and disappear into concrete nowhere. So for two days, myself and my two employees were searching through this building up in the ceilings and crawl spaces trying to find out where these conduits went to and in one such episode we were hot on the trail we had traced one conduit into the lower level parking area and it went into an office area which was used as a medical office with a doctor who did examinations for federal employees there in the building so they didn't have to leave the building but as we lifted up the drop ceiling tile in the entryway to this medical office, we could see that the conduit went off and across the room to another wall. The question is, did it go just through that other wall or did it go junction off and up or down or somewhere else? That's what we needed to know. And that's what we have been searching for most of the day. So I knocked on the door, went in the reception area and the receptionist says, well, the doctor has a patient in his office now, so you'll have to wait until he's done. Um, I says, well, how long do you think that would be? He says, I'll have no idea. Uh, at least 10, 15 minutes. He says, okay. So the three of us stood out there by my ladder waiting and waiting. And after about 10 minutes, I became a little impatient and thought, you know, I'm looking up in the crawl hole space where the ladder was. And I could see up there that right above the drop ceiling tiles was about a 10-foot space up to the concrete true ceiling. And in that space was where they would run ductings and pipes of all kinds. And along the outside wall was a r bunch of racks about four feet wide held by bars that hung down from the concrete ceiling above. And on those racks were all kinds of conduits and pipes, uh, some steam pipes that were insulated with asbestos type insulation and I thought to myself and I told the other two guys I could just climb up there and walk along the outside edge of this room without even having to go inside the exam room and lifting up the ceiling tile there I got uh, objections by my two employees but I decided to just go for it so up I went and crawled up into the crawl hole climbed up on top of one of these racks with my flashlight 
and started to carefully walk along on the top of these pipes and conduits from rack to rack as it went around the outside perimeter of this big room up above the ceiling of the doctor's offices. And all the way around I went, and I thought, this is doing great. Little bits of light would shine up from inside as it came through the fluorescent light fixtures down below in the drop ceiling tiles. So I could see a little bit in there, plus my flashlight. And when I got around to the far side of the wall, sure enough, that conduit we were looking for, it went through the exterior wall, and that was it. I thought my job was done. So I started, I turned around and started back towards the access hole that I had come out of when I heard a sound. It was the unmistakable sound of water spraying. And there, towards the middle of the room, I could see it. A pipe had broken apart and was spraying water out everywhere above the drop ceiling tiles. I virtually ran across the drop ceiling tiles, holding onto the wires from the ceiling, and I don't know what kept me up there. But I came over and stood and grabbed hold of the pipe. It was a one-inch copper hot water pipe, which had broken apart at a coupling and was now spraying water. I reached down and tried to grab it with my hand and hold the pipe together, but it did virtually nothing, and water was spraying out about eight to ten feet in all directions. I quickly grabbed with my other hand my two-way radio and said, Larry, Larry, get GSA quick. Tell him to turn off the hot water. Larry took off to find GSA, having shut off the hot water supply to this area. And as I sat there, crouched down, trying to hold this hot water pipe together, the water was hot, but not so hot that it burned my hands, but it was definitely hard to hold on to. I could watch this water spraying, and as it was spraying on the ceiling tiles, the ceiling tiles started to get soggy and heavy, and they started to bulge. And then pretty soon I could hear voices down below talking loudly. And all of a sudden, as one ceiling tile got too heavy, it dropped. And as it dropped down, it was made out of cardboard, pressed cardboard, acoustical ceiling tiles. When it hit the floor in the office there below, it splattered on the floor and just exploded in a mess everywhere. And then another tile fell and hit the top of the countertop all over the medical equipment in the exam room. Another one fell on chairs, diagrams on the walls and charts, medical charts, instruments. It just started, they just started dropping and exploding everywhere. So there I was crouching up on top of this ceiling with nothing below me now except looking down at the office and the people were running everywhere. It must have been at least 10 minutes before GSA came waltzing into the room. And he says, well, uh, we're looking for the shutoff. It might take us a while. Um, we'll find it. And I says, well, quickly, quickly, do as fast as you can. Pretty soon they came back a little lot later and says, well, it's shut off, but it's going to take a while. We've got five floors of water pipe to drain down. And this is the lowest point. A one-inch water pipe is a lot of water. And five floors meant it took pretty much a half an hour before that water finished draining down to a trickle coming out of the pipe. Meanwhile, thousands of gallons of water, hot water, had sprayed all over the room and went everywhere. The medical office was a shambles inside. I climbed down, my two employees, myself, and I called my dad to come help me. The four of us. We're frantically trying to clean up water with wet vacs 
and brooms and squeegees as GSA brought in the entire janitorial crew and GSA workers. There must have been 20 some people all trying to clean up this water as fast as we could. But unfortunately, water goes underneath interior walls and went to a large room next door that I didn't know anything about. It was a storage room that mostly seemed to house IRS files. And in this huge room were chain link fenced off areas full of stacks of cardboard boxes with file folders in them stacked up about four to five feet high. As this water went all over in this room, it got to be about a half inch deep all over the room. And this file folder started getting very soggy and wet on the bottom. And I'm thinking as I'm trying to suck up the water around the cages, these are going to ruin these file folders and these cages. But then right out of a comedy movie, the unexpected happened. As those stacks of cardboard boxes got wet and soft on the bottom, they started getting squishy. They started to lean. And as they leaned over just enough, they tipped over the entire stacks. The stacks hit the ground. The tops popped open. The file folders broke out and scattered papers everywhere over the wet floor. And as it did that, it would knock over another stack and they would do the same thing. Pretty soon the entire room had randomly one stack over there getting wet and falling over and toppling over papers everywhere. And then over here and then over there and over there. It was a sickening mess to watch. At first I thought maybe I would get through this thing with just some water damage to pay for. But now the cost of trying to clean up these file folders and all these papers that were probably ruined. I had no idea what these papers were. They were obviously important enough to lock up in these steel cage or these chain link fence cages in the basement. We worked for about four hours until I was emotionally and physically drained. So all of us went home and left GSA and the janitorial crew to try to finish cleaning up. Well, the next morning, I had to come back in. Still had a job to do there, but I dreaded it. And as I was walking up the hallway to restart my work, the GSA electrician came in the other direction and said, Hey, peeping Tom. Hey, peeping Tom. I tried to smile. What were you talking about? The lady, she was had her feet up in the air in the doctor's office. And she thought you were a peeping Tom up in the ceiling. Peeping Tom. He laughed and walked on down the hallway. So I knew I was going to have to put up with this kind of mockery for probably forever. But then as I got to the security center, the uh, Federal Protective Office says, uh, GSA wants to see you upstairs. I thought, okay, this is it. I went upstairs, and there the GSA uh, maintenance manager was in the office, and he says, come here, we need to talk to the boss, to the head of GSA. So I went over with him, and he says, look, look. This uh, coupling that broke, you see this? It was only put inside the coupling. The pipe was only inside the coupling about an eighth of an inch. So that was why it broke apart. It wasn't, it wasn't done right. I don't think we should have Stanley be a, in, responsible for all of this. It was not all his fault. And I was thinking, oh, wow. I couldn't imagine my insurance paying for this kind of mess. I could, I could just see it being twenty to $30,000 at least. Not, not including what it would cost to fix if they were fixable, all the files that were on the floor soaking wet. 
but I would figured if they did pay for it, they would probably cancel our insurance. And that was a big deal because we had already been canceled twice before by insurance companies. Not that we had ever had a claim, never been sued. It's just that they decided that they didn't want to insure a small alarm company. So it was very difficult for us to find insurance. And we had just gotten some about two months earlier for this specific job, in fact. Well, I thought we were off the hook. And Scotty, the GSA foreman, says, uh, we'll, we'll take care of it. Don't worry. What a relief. Why did he do that for me? It's because I think I always gave a little more than was expected. I always tried to do 10% more than what they needed and always be available when, when they needed something. I was paying it forward, and it finally came back to pay me big time. So a disaster, a financial disaster, was narrowly avoided. But wait, there's more. Three days later, I get another call from GSA and says the fire alarm system is buzzing. It says it's buzzing, yes. So they took me to one of the offices, and I listened inside, and yes, sure enough, the fire alarm speakers, which were in all of the rooms and all five floors in both buildings, the courthouse and the federal side, was making this tiny little buzzing noise. Well, I didn't think too much of it. We did have the contract to maintain the fire alarm along with the security systems, and the fire alarm was this massive antique that was about seven feet tall and about 12 feet wide with hundreds and hundreds of lights and buttons and switches interconnecting relays to the elevator system and public address systems to announce fire. And that's what was buzzing with these speakers that were in all the rooms and all the floors. So I thought, well, maybe it's just the amplifier has got a problem with its power supply and that's why it's buzzing. But no, it was coming from the main fire alarm console. And yet nothing was lit up on the console showing that there was any problem. I worked all day to try to find out what was wrong with this thing. There were no diagrams on the old fire alarm. And if there were, they, they wouldn't have helped any because they'd been modified twice before over the years. So the, all day long, my dad and I tried to figure out what was wrong with this thing. Why was it causing this buzz to get into the amplifier somehow? It was uh, the next day we did all day long working on this thing, trying to get rid of the buzzing noise. During the daytime, we shut off the amplifier, so basically they would have had no fire alarm, and unless we were standing there inside the fire alarm office and saw some light come on. And at nighttime, we would turn it back on, figuring there weren't that many people there to hear the buzz, so they would just ignore it. It was not until the third day that we finally isolated the problem. By this time, I was emotionally drained. But I found that the buzz was coming from a wire that was shorted out, coming from a standing pipe or a water sprinkler pipe shutoff valve in the southeast corner of the basement. I went there, I opened up the, the pipe valve, and inside the casing to this valve, which has a switch to tell you when the water is shut off to the sprinklers, I noticed a tiny little wire that was touching the casing, and it was shorting out that wire causing the feedback into the fire alarm system. I cut off the little piece of wire sticking out, put it all back together, and sure enough, everything was fine. What does this have to do with my story? Well, as I told GSA what had happened, he says, well, you know what? When we were replacing those uh, ceiling tiles that had fallen from the ceiling after the water episode, 
Our one of our guys bumped one of the fire sprinklers and it started leaking a little bit. So we had to shut off the water to replace that sprinkler head. And I guess that's when it uh, shorted out that wire to the housing. So for the last three days, I'd agonized and worried trying to figure out this problem, which was caused by a moment's stupidity when I had decided to just go up inside this attic ceiling and go for it. What does that tell us? Risk-taking is essential, but doing something stupid, an avoidable risk, should never be done. And remember this episode so you don't have to repeat what I had to learn. And that's the end of the story. Thank you for listening. This is Stanley Diaz. Please leave your comments below or email me at riskandcommitment at gmail.com. Thank you.